Hello, welcome to Off Curve. I am Wicked Good, and I am talking to you about Hearthstone while I am driving home from work. It is Thursday, August. It's not October yet. <laughs> Thursday, August 30th, uh, 2018, uh, one day before the ladder reset. We have not talked like this in a while. Uh, I've had a couple of weeks of guests, which is fun, but you know, I missed, missed having these conversations in the car too to keep me company while I'm driving home. Um, so we also, that also means we haven't talked about ladder in a while, not since really the the set came out and, uh, there's not really been a whole lot for me to talk about. If I'm being honest, I've been trying a lot of things and some of them have been more successful than others. I've been dabbling in odd warrior. I've, I've tried basically everything. I mean, you know, casting kind of makes you do that. Uh, so part of, part of my lack of climbing is, you know, the fact that I'm learning a whole bunch of decks all at once, though, if we're being honest, some of it's just, you know, poor play and not having enough time to play optimally. Uh, I was kind of hoping I would be able to hit legend over the weekend because I knew that trying to do it this week was going to be very difficult. And it turns out that was not incorrect because, uh, partially work's been kicking my butt and like, I'm just leaving the train station at like seven now as I'm recording this. Usually I'm usually when I'm recording, it's closer to five 30 when I'm leaving the train station. And I, you know, it, my play is not as good on weeknights as it is on weekends. That's just a fact because I'm, you know, able to, you know, wake up and, you know, just kind of chill and ladder while I'm fresh, as opposed to trying to do it after being out of the house for 12 hours and, you know, using all my mental energy on other things, which are, you know, it's, they're, they're all explanations and, and partially excuses. So anyway, so I'm going to rank two, three stars. I may not hit legend this month. I'm okay with it. I am currently playing Taunt Druid and it's not really anything fancy. There's a list on it on Hearthstone top decks that I'll, I'll link to. It's, there aren't even any wounds day cards in it. It's just a straight up pre-boomsday taunt druid and it turns out that it's pretty good because a lot of what's in the meta right now is a lot of aggro and it turns out that gaining six armor and putting down a three six taunt is pretty good at, at stopping aggro in its traps along with a whole bunch of taunts following it up uh that's pretty been, it's been pretty good against like odd rogue and zoo uh it's generally pretty good against odd warrior less so against big spell mage, but it's not terrible just because being able to even resurrect one wave of taunts and then throw a branching paths on them is pretty good. And, um, you know, it, it's okay against hunter. It kind of depends on how early they get their Rexar and how many, and if it's death rattles or not and how many death rattles they get. Um, but it's not, it's not bad. So I've been climbing with it. It's, it's been a little bit slower than I'd like, but it's been faster than the odd warrior that I was playing before I was playing odd warrior throughout the weekend, and it, just because it was the only thing that was really giving me positive win rate, I was trying Death Rattle Hunter based, you know, based on the Vicious Syndicate report, I was trying Death Rattle Hunter and Big Spell Mage, neither of them really felt great to me. I know Death Rattle Hunter is one of the best decks in the format, but it's also very dependent on you drawing the cards in your deck in the right order, and that's just something that is my play style, that those kinds of decks generally tilt me harder than other decks, the decks that you need to draw the things in the right order or stall until you do, uh, which is weird because I'm playing Tantra and I'm fine with it, but generally Tantra has a little bit more sustainability than, um, than a Death Rattle Hunter does going up against aggro. 
And, like, The Odd Warrior was good, but the problem is that, you know, some of the games take a half an hour, and, I, you know, if I'm trying to get to Legend, I just don't have that kind of time, realistically. And, and I also, if we're being honest, I don't have the mental um, capacity to be able to play those kinds of games back-to-back-to-back to back to back after a full day of work. So I tried doing Odd Warrior. I did climb with it, uh, but I kind of got stuck at rank three, and it was... It was time for a change, and I saw Tantra was wrecking me, and it was doing pretty well against what was in the meta, so I tried that. It's been working. We'll see if I can get to Legend. If not, I'm okay, right? Like, I have already touched rank one, so I'm going to start at rank five this season, next season, and I don't need to hit Legend every month to know that I'm a good player, right? Like, you are not your rank. I would like to, obviously, but... I'm also okay if it doesn't happen, and I'm just kind of trying to take it as it goes and, and play good Hearthstone and, and enjoy myself, because if I put pressure on myself and I end up, you know, being angry at myself because I didn't hit that, which I normally do, especially in a month where there was a big meta shift and I was spending a lot of time earlier in the month prepping for a card review, and also HCT playoffs are starting, I've been spending some time uh, with the Tableau, uh, the Tableau um, dashboard for the HCT deck list, which... Again, I'll have a link to in the show notes. I've just updated that for HCT Europe. But that, that also took like a good two to three hours of laddering time last night to do that because I had to, uh, you know, unexpectedly, because, well, it's, I mean, it should have been expectedly, but I forgot that HCT was that weekend, um, you know, drop everything in and pull all the, all the deck lists in and then get ready to publish the dashboard and, and realize that I haven't actually updated all the card data to reflect the new cards. And so... Um, all of the, I had to spend another hour or two trying to figure out how to update that because I haven't done it since I first published the, the dashboard. So, you know, I've, I've been losing some laddering time there and you know, it's, it's a lot of different things and real life gets in the way sometimes and that's okay. Right? Like, again, you're not your rank and it's okay if you, if real life keeps you from being able to achieve the same goals that you normally hit uh, in, in a game and that's okay. So I'm kind of, um, you know, getting some acceptance with that. I want to, I have a couple of small topics, but you know, again, like I said, work's been kind of kicking my butt. So I haven't really been able to prep for this week as much as I would like. And I've kind of been, I'll, if I'll, again, if I'm being honest, some of the frustration with not getting the legend has been affecting me thinking bigger about the game. So, you know, we'll, we'll take it as it goes. So the one topic I have for today is just something that's kind of been gnawing at me for a little while, and I feel like talking through this will probably help other people, so I want to just kind of get it out here, and it involves the card tracking. So if you've been following me on Twitter or anyone in kind of in that circle, you, you've seen a lot of conversations about tracking. Um, I'm not going to call anybody out on the show who, uh, you know, had some divergent opinions, but I want to talk about, this is kind of a bigger, more complicated topic that does hold some players back from being able to, um, to be able to play their game at, at their peak potential. And so I want to kind of talk about why tracking is a good card, what tracking does, and why tracking it feels like it's a card that you don't want to play, right? So tracking, if you remember, is a one-mana spell for Hunter. It says draw, um, you know, look at the three top three cards on the top of your deck, draw one and discard the other two. So this is a card that initially you will play, you know, you'll, I think it's basic even. I don't remember if it's basic or it's a uh, common classic. 
but it's a card that you're going to get fairly often. You're going to play it, and then you're going to feel horrible because you're getting one card. You're, you're, you know, normally you're drawing cards to get resources, right? And sometimes this feels bad because you're getting resources at the expense of other resources. So you're taking one card off the next top three, but you're also throwing away the other two. And sometimes you end up in these awkward situations where say you get, um, like a, in, in the case of death rattle hunter, you get a devil sore egg, a prince Caliseth and a, and a death stalker Rexar, and you have to throw two of them away. And that feels bad, right? And it feels bad because you're, you're giving away some of the key cards in your deck because they happen to be clumped together. And so there are people who will play the, and I, I, I will go back and forth on tracking myself, right? And I actually had to be convinced by, uh, Robobson that tracking was good in the death rattle hunter. I knew it was bad in the recruit hunter and I stand by that. And I think we both agree on that. The one that doesn't run the eggs, but, or a lot of the other deck, um, death rattle activators, but just runs like the, the Katharina package at the end game and, and usually runs stitch trackers to get to those like that. And, you know, in, and the charge devil swords, like in that deck tracking doesn't make sense. But in the current version of, of Death Rattle Hunter and also in like Spell and Secret Hunter, it does. And understanding why is really important. Because I think that kind of helps you look at your resources a little bit more closely. And, and I want to take this all the way back. And if you're listening to this, I'm assuming that you're, I don't want to say you're an above average player. I, I, I think you are, you know, that, that's just a little bit of self-serving pandering. Uh, but, <laughs> but like, I, I'm assuming that this isn't your first rodeo, right? Like you've played the game, you've gone through, you, you've, it's been a while since you've done the tutorial, you know, how each one of the, how each one of the classes works, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one of the things you learn really early, like the first time you play Warlock is that, you know, there are more resources than cards in mana. Because Warlock takes the idea that the first thing that you learn when you're getting into the game is that your resources are your cards and your mana and your minions, and that you want to try to maximize those as best you can, and then, you know, you, you want to use those to outvalue your opponent. That's kind of the basic beginning of the, of the you know, the first experiences that any of us has with the game, right? And then you play Warlock, and all of a sudden you have this hero power that says, deal two damage to yourself, draw a card. And it's like, well, why do I want to do that? And then furthermore, then you start playing cards like Flame Imp, or Hellfire, where you're doing damage to your opponent to the board, or you're you're putting down a, an overstatted minion, but at the cost of uh, damage to yourself. And you start learning that your life is actually a resource, and that's how Zoo works, right? Like you you are exchanging your life in a, in exchange for more cards, and the additional card advantage of those cards over the course of the game will generally balance out the amount of life that you're paying in order to uh, to get ahead because if you're doing things correctly, then you're getting ahead on board, you're staying ahead on board, and you're actually taking less damage in the long run by committing some of that life pool as a resource in order to um, in order to advance your board position. Same thing with Control Warlock, where, I mean, there you actually have cards that are going to, to take advantage of the fact that you're hurting yourself by healing yourself back up, but you're tapping early and, and using up um, using your life early in exchange for getting control of the board and then being able to, to, you know, heal back up later. So that's 
that's kind of an important lesson that we all learn early on. And I think that this kind of goes to tracking, but it's a little bit more subtle because tracking has a couple of other things that are going on that make it a little bit harder to see that, especially on an individual case-by-case basis. So generally with tracking, what happens is you get to that scenario that I mentioned earlier, and then you're like, well, this card feels bad, and it's bad. Like, I'm throwing my resources. Why am I doing that? I could just draw all three of these cards. Why would I throw away two of them? Just to draw one more, that seems like a bad deal. So there's a few things that are going on here, right? And, and one thing that people tend to say in terms of discard effects or, or mill effects is just treat it as though it was on the bottom of your deck and you weren't going to draw it anyway this game. And that's true, right? Like, that's not, that's not a, a, it's a good way to think of it at first, though it's not, it's not always true. And certainly in the case of things where you only have one in your deck and it's a key component to your deck, that's, it's, it's cold comfort, right? But, but that is a valid statement. Like, you might just not have drawn it that game and the, and the effect would have been the same. Now, I would argue that a lot of games, especially with Death Rattle Hunter, go very close to fatigue. And in that case, it does make a difference, right? Because you're if you're expecting to draw through your whole deck, and if you're going to fatigue, and if you've ever played a hunter against uh, the, the hunter odd warrior matchup, you know that this happens a lot, then you are going to draw all those cards. And you're giving away two of them just to draw one. So this is this kind of goes back to a couple of things. One is that Again, the cards in your deck are a resource, and very often in a hunter deck, specifically, you will have a lot of redundancy built into your deck. So you're going to have a lot of the, especially if you look at Death Rattle Hunter. Like there are multiple powerful Death Rattles. There are multiple activators for those Death Rattles. There are multiple utility cards used for removal and for, um, you know, for for keeping board control. And and you have like you may only have two copies of any card. But with the exception of a couple of, of key cards like Deathstalker, Rexar, Katharina, or uh, Prince Kaliseth, those cards are all going to have redundancy, and you can afford to throw away a couple of them if it helps you end the game faster by getting to a card that you need to get to. The other thing is that cards have varying degrees of value throughout the game. So I the, the rule used to be, and, and, and depending on the deck, it still can be, that you don't tracking on turn one ever. And the reason that that was the case, and it's a little less now, and Robobson's kind of convinced me of this in, in Death Rattle Hunter because you have so much redundancy, but the reason that that was saying that is that you should never be playing tracking just as card drawing. And, and it's very similar to, say, how Shadow Visions works, too. And, and I see a lot of times uh, Priest players will just play Shadow Visions on two because it's something to do with their mana and not because they're looking to get something. And it's the same thing with tracking. You are using a card like this to get a specific card that you need in the moment. Now, in Death Rattle Hunter, that may be correct on turn one if you're looking at the texture of your opening hand and you don't have a Death Rattle or you don't have an activator, and very often it'll be the case you don't have one or the other. And then it's appropriate to track you on one if you don't have a better play to be able to try to find those so you can play those on card. But you shouldn't ever be just playing tracking like you would play Arcane Intellect just to draw cards. Because it's not just card draw, it is finding you an answer that you need. And, and what happens is that it works even if it's not in one of the cards you pick up from tracking. So let's say that you're playing against an Odd Warrior and you need Dexar, Deathstalker Rexar. 
That is the key card that wins you the matchup. You may track me on turn one looking for Deathstroke or Rackstar, not find it, pick one card out of what's left, throw away two. That was not a waste of a turn, and that was not a waste of a card. Because what that did was that got three cards out of the way that are not Deathstalker or Rexar, and that's basically a one-card win condition in that matchup. So even if you're not finding the specific card you're looking for, and you should be looking for a card when you're playing tracking, that's the key. You should know what you want off of it when you play it, and not just, not just be drawing off of it. But even if you don't find it, you just drew three cards closer to that card that you want. And if that, generally there are cards that are more important and less important, and you're trying to find those more important ones. So getting three cards out of the way between you and there basically saves you three turns where you'd be drawing dead for three turns otherwise. And you also get into the situation where you have cards like, like Candleshot, for example, that is fantastic in the early game, but it starts to lose value very quickly once you start getting into the mid game and certainly into the late game. And so what tracking does is it finds you a card that you do need, gets rid of those cards that have little value and don't waste draws on them. And by pitching them, you're actually improving your draws on that turn and on subsequent turns. So yeah, it does sometimes create these awkward situations, but it also helps you find what you're looking for. And you should know what's in your deck and what you've already drawn to know what the percentage chance is that you can get them. And that kind of helps too. And this goes even more so for Shadow Visions. Like, I see a lot of people go Shadow Visions on two and a Mind Blast Priest, for example, looking for burn, and that's almost always incorrect, because the odds of you drawing in, you know, pulling a Mind Blast will be much better after you've drawn more spells and reduced the size of the pool. And it's just a matter of when you're going to have time to play it after turn two when you don't have anything else to do, and that's kind of a consideration, but you should always be thinking about what you know, roughly what the odds are and if the odds are going to be better if you wait or if you really need that card right now. But whenever you're, like, if you watch me stream, typically if I play Shadow Visions or I play Tracking, I'm just going to say, I'm going to Visions 4 and have a card in mind. And that's how you should be playing. Like, you should know when you're playing that, this is the card that I want. And if you don't find it, you'll take something else. But you should ideally know what you want and then be ready to use it that turn and then those cards become a lot more powerful than if you're just using those as card generation and card draw. So one other small thing that's kind of more generally applicable, and then I'll, I'll move on to a couple of questions before I uh, let you all go, is that recency bias, in, in some, and I forget what the name of the other bias is, but you know, overvaluing negative outcomes are both things that you need to be really careful of when you're evaluating a card like this. Because you are going to have situations where you're going to, you know, get Keleseth and Rexar and Katharina and have to make an awkward choice and then probably lose the game because of it. That will happen. But it, it's the, what's important, and that's why I went through that whole that whole um, diatribe about knowing what you want when you when you play it. Is if you know the odds of what's going to happen, it makes that happen a lot less. Because first of all, you can you can sometimes delay until it's optimal. And also you can know what, you know, sometimes you're just going to get unlucky. This is a card game, right? Like sometimes you're just going to have an, uh, an unfavorable result and, and that's just the way that this game works. So it's important not to remember like that one time that you ended up with like this Sophie's Choice situation and then ended up losing the game because you threw away a lot of resources and think about more like what the average result is. Like if you're, if you have 15 cards in your deck and you're looking for a devil sore egg and you have, I don't know what the odds are off the top of my head because I'm driving, but you can figure out, you can do a hypergeometric calculation and figure out what the odds are that you're going to draw that card 
um, over, you know, over three draws and then figure out what the percentage chance is and go from there. Right. And, and that's a, that's a number that you can figure out. And sometimes you're going to, you know, the way probability works is sometimes it's going to fail, but at least you know what the odds are of you getting that card and then being able to use it right away, as opposed to just chucking it out there and hoping what happens, hoping you get what happens. But you, you can't, you need to look at more of the average result than the, than the one time that it bombed on you in order to really get the value out of this card. And you just kind of have to be comfortable with sometimes chucking cards away. Like sometimes you're just gonna, you're gonna check those cards away and sometimes they're gonna be fine and sometimes it's gonna suck. But on average, the average result for something like tracking is that you're going to do better than you would if you just drew all three cards naturally. And that's kind of the way to look at it because the alternative isn't that, oh, well, I would have had all these cards. The alternative is I would have spent three turns drawing these cards. And if I didn't need those three cards right away, then spending three turns to get to whatever your next draw is might have lost you the game. And that's the way you need to evaluate the alternative. It's not if I didn't draw this card, I would have had, if I didn't play tracking, I would have had these cards. It's, I would have, if I didn't play tracking, I would have spent three turns drawing these cards. Would I have lived if I had to draw these cards one at a time over three turns? Or would I have been better off taking whatever the best was and then getting to the next draw and, and you know, in skipping those three turns getting there? And, and in some matchups, Especially in Death Rattle Hunter, where sometimes you're just living on the edge and you just need to get to your combo pieces. Like, those three turns can be really relevant, and that's where tracking really comes in handy. So, uh, you know, uh, again, this is a complicated subject. If you have questions or you want to, you know, discuss this further, you can hit me up on Twitter or, you know, or message me. And, and, you know, I might do an addendum to this. But I would say that if you've been shying away from tracking or you think that tracking is a bad card, I would encourage you to try it again. But try to think a little bit more analytically about it. And try to consider what the, what the real alternatives would have been to not playing it. Um, and, and see if it does help you when you approach it a little bit differently. Sometimes cards like this that feel bad when, when they go wrong or feel better when you just kind of change your, change your approach to them. Okay. I got a couple of quick questions for this episode. Uh, not too many. And then I'm going to, then I'm going to, I'm going to get out of here. But, um, the first one is, um, from ATLDS who says, um, in, in react, in response to my stream on Sunday night where I played Odd Warrior, I don't understand when ever to play Azalina when I play Odd Warrior. Um, what, when can I do that? So the, the way that Azalina gets used in Odd Warrior is there, there are generally two types of uses of Azalina. One of them is for disrupting a combo. And so this is something when Togwaggle Druid is around, you see the dream, the, the, whatever the florist is, I don't remember the name of it. Um, you play that and then you know that you have a discounted combo in your hand because they generally only play that when they have at least one of the combo pieces in play in, in hand. And then you can kind of get ahead of them also knowing that you're going to Azalina again and then get their Azalina potentially and, and kind of keep redoing that. There's also some opportunity with Shutterwalk to be able to get a whole bunch of one mana Shutterwalks and redo a lot of your battle price, which sometimes is relevant um, for shuffling a bunch of release packs or you know doing a lot of damage to the board with Dynomatic or, or what have you. Um, the other use case is sometimes in Odd Warrior, especially in long fatigue battles, you start to get to the point where you have a lot of deck cards in your hand. Like the way that you play the mirror, for example, is that you never play shield block ever. Like you, it's a fatigue match. You don't want to draw. Shield block is a dead card for the entirety of the game. Sometimes Reckless Flurry gets dead too because you don't really want to do 25 damage to yourself to uh, to clear the board. So sometimes you'll get stuck with a handful of those, and then you can just Azalina and improve your hand and get more resources. So you know, turn. It, it's a matter of understanding the matchup and understanding when you would want to Azalina. But um, you're either doing it to wait for a combo and then try to disrupt a you know a combo deck, 
or you're using it in a long drawn out match to try to refill your hand and get additional resources. They're probably pretty good because chances are they've been holding on to them for most of the game anyway. And if they get to have a bunch of dead cards, then you know, no harm, no foul, because you've been holding on to a bunch of dead cards that you just were able to just cash in. And the other question that I have this week is from um, from JW Sadler. It says, do you have recommendations for dusting legendaries? Um, for Boomsday as well as in general, do you trust the trash tier in the Hearthbone Legendary tier crafting guide? So I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, I looked at it. I don't really disagree with a lot there. I think that they're a little bit aggressive on some of like the Ungoro cards. And because there has been some, you know, use of like, say, the Paladin Quest a little bit. And there, I've seen a Control Paladin that runs the Vorax recently and stuff like that. But I, I you know, I don't necessarily disagree with their choices. I kind of disagree with the idea of dusting a legendary that's still standard legal. And the reason is that since they changed the uh, way that you open up legendaries back in um, Nice the Frozen Throne, if you disenchant the legendary and you're likely to open up any more packs of it, uh, you're very, you're likely to open that legendary again. And and if it's a bad legendary, you really don't want to do that. Then you just basically threw away 1,200 dust because you could have opened up another legendary that was better. Now, if you're completely done opening like opening up packs from that set, that's okay. Then go ahead and do that. Um, I don't really have a problem with anything on their list for the most part. Just the other, the only other consideration I have for, for standard legendaries is that we've seen a lot of um, legendaries move out of trash tier as new legendaries are printed that sometimes they just don't have the support yet, but there's like a longer term plan for them. Hatrox is a really good example of that. That was, that was trashed here for two sets until Witching Hour came out. All of a sudden, Hadronox was a medic, was, was in Metadex. And if you had, you know, gone after a, a list like this in like Cobalt and Catacombs, you probably would have dusted it because, you know, nothing was playing and there wasn't really any support for it. But then you print Witching Hour, all of a sudden it's key to a meta deck. So that's why I don't like dusting legendaries that are that are standard legal. I do have a list that I'll, I'll repost that I wrote around rotation as far as like which wild cards are dustable because they just don't see player. There are, there are just better options in wild that these were like the standard replacements for. Now they're rotating out of standard and you just play the wild version instead. Um, I, I think that ultimately with golden legendaries is a little bit different because you're just kind of doing a, a one for one swap. So if you have a golden legendary and you don't plan on using it and you think that you can dust it for something better, I think that's fine. Um, regular legendaries, it, I think it's going to be detrimental because you're likely to open them, especially like classic, because you're, you're going to end up opening those a couple times. You could have just opened up a different legendary and not had to craft it. Um, that said, you know, depending on how many packs you open up it's probably okay. Like if you really need something for a deck, but I would just be careful about how often you do that because again, you could end up putting yourself in the hole. Like I remember I dusted Deathwing before the first standard rotation. Cause I was convinced that it was, you know, it was big game hunter was three mana back then. Like nobody was playing a, a 12, a, a 10 mana, 12, 12 that discarded your hand because it just get BGH and you'd lose. Um, then all of a sudden, BGH gets nerfed to five mana. Big Drew becomes a thing, and I find myself crafting Deathwing again. Um, you know, so it's just a matter of just be careful about how often you do that. And I think that, you know, make sure that it's... One thing that you can do on Hearthstone Top Decks is if you search for a card, you can see all the recent decks that it was in. And you can see, you know, what... You know, if it, if it really is does have no value or not. Um, I, I also may be doing something with the data viz now that I have a little bit more robustness in my, uh, my workflow, 
I may try to do something with uh, with the meta to try to put together a crafting guide. So keep an eye out for that. I don't know when that'll be, but when I get some free time, I may do that. Um, and as far as as far as crafting is concerned, I would say craft craft decks. Don't craft cards. Like look at decks that you want to play, and then work backwards from there and craft cards that you're going to play in an, in a, in a deck that you want to play. Because um, sometimes you craft a card just because it's cool, and then you don't actually get to use it, and then you may as well have just held on to that dust, right? All right, so that is it for me for this week. Um, actually, not as short of a show as I thought it was going to be. Uh, but, uh, you know, as always, you can find all the links that I talk about at offcurve.com. And um, you can also follow the show's account at offcurve. You can also feel free to, um, at, to at mention or DM questions. DMs are open on that account, so you can add or DM questions um, to that account, and I will get them on the show. Please, if you, if you at mention them, just make sure to say that you want to have it mentioned on the show just because sometimes I get... I forget. I, I'm human. I have ADD. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so you can do that. You can also catch me streaming uh, Wicked Good FM on Twitch, uh, usually Sunday nights around 9, between 8.30 and 9 p.m. Um, I've been casting the Into the Wild League. I'm really enjoying that. I should be casting some for uh, United Hearthstone League uh, starting in a couple of weeks. And also there's a couple other projects that may be starting that I'm pretty excited about that you'll get to see me um, doing a little bit more of that. And um, you can also, if you want to support the show, you can also uh, leave a review on iTunes. Um, I have not gotten any in the U.S. store, but I did get a couple on um, some of the international stores. I got one from uh, Random Identity from Germany that says, uh, when I first popped into this cast, I could have sworn on my Golden King Mosh that this was Brian Kibler's voice and podcast. So similar in sound, color, and, and eloquency. Now that I know better, or do I, I'm still around as Steve delivers a high-quality, analytical, entertaining, in-depth podcast, and on top of it, he seems to be a great guy who understands the game and the mental dimension Hearthstone brings with it. Well played, Steve. Any chance that white fluffy dog? Never mind. So it means a lot, honestly. That's really high praise, and I, I, you know, I would hope I live up to that, but that's, you know, Kibler is one of the smartest guys in the game, and, and even being, like, a fraction of that is really, really flattering. Um, I do not have as good taste in, in pets as he does. I don't have any pets actually, um, but I, I do appreciate that, and that that really does mean a lot. I, you know, that, that's you can't get much better praise than that. I would say. Um, I also got a a uh, review from uh, Tiger Lily in the UK, who says uh, this podcast is great. It doesn't have the bells and whistles of some others, but the content's always spot on. Steve gives great insight on the meta. What's working, what isn't. We'll go into great detail with with deck. Uh, recipes and why different cards are included, which is so helpful as someone new to deck building. The, the card reviews on the Happy Hearthstone are also definitely worth a listen. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that a lot. Like, I, I'm still, I'm always getting better at deck building. I don't think anybody's really, you know, perfect at it. But I think that sometimes just understanding what the thought process is helps a lot. And so that's that's why I do what I do. Um, but I'm glad that that's helpful, and, I, and that's really all I want. Like I, you know, I do the I do the show for my car just because it makes it so that it'll be easier for me to do regularly, and I do appreciate that. Um, you know, I mean, I know that the sound quality on this is necessarily not going to be as good as some some other podcasts typically when I'm not recording from my desk. But I'm glad that the content is making up for that, and and you know, those those reviews really do they help with the visibility, especially in some of those other apps and some of those other podcast stores, and it also you know it just fills my bucket, as my wife would say. So, uh, so thank you both for that. And, and, you know, I appreciate if you haven't left a review, um, you know, it's never too late. You can feel free to go ahead to do that in, uh, you know, whatever the, whatever the podcast directory of, uh, you know, or, uh, podcast app store is a choice, whatever we call it. I don't know. It's been a long day. I'm sorry. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, as, and as always, you know, thank you for listening. I, 
I know I say this every week, but I do mean it. I know you have a lot of choices where you can put your podcast listening time. I mean, I know I do. And um, I really do appreciate you spending it with me as I'm driving home from work and uh, jabbering about the game. So thank you as always for listening. Um, You know, I'll see you back here next time. And until then, good luck with the ladder. Good luck with the ladder finish at the end of the season. And um, be good to each other. Have a good one.